Mac Power Users, episode 562, the first Apple Silicon Macs. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. Are you excited about these new Apple Silicon Macs? I am so jacked up about this. <laughs> I know. We've been talking about this for a really long time and uh, it's here. So we're going to get into uh, these this new system and everything Apple is doing. Uh, but we want to open the show with something really special. We've been able to uh, sit down and interview Kurt Knight. Uh, he's a senior director of platform product marketing at Apple. Uh, we got to spend about half an hour with Kurt talking about the M1 and Big Sur and what it all means. Uh, at this point, too, I just want to say that we're talking about Apple Silicon Max today. And the next week on episode 563, We'll be talking all about macOS Big Sur. It's out now. Uh, our advice always is to uh, maybe give new OSs a little bit of time uh, before you move to them, especially in a production environment. But we'll really get into that uh, next week. So I'm excited about this interview with Kurt that kind of bridges both of those things. Yeah, the nice thing about Kurt is he's been using Apple Silicon Macs for some time. So not only can he kind of give us Apple's end of what they did and why, but he can also talk to us about using it, which I don't think many people have done yet. Yeah. So uh, we will uh, let y'all enjoy this interview and uh, we'll be back in just a minute. So gang, we are really excited today. We are joined by Kurt Knight. He's a senior director, platform product marketing at Apple. Kurt, uh, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here and uh, this is an exciting week for us. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's jump right into that. We've got Apple Silicon Macs with the M1, and of course, Mac OS 11, Big Sur is here as well. Uh, I thought maybe we could start with Big Sur. I think what most people will notice right off the bat is this beautiful new design. It's a big departure. You know, Aqua has evolved over the years, uh, and Big Sur is a big leap forward. Uh, what led to this happening now? Why is now the moment uh, for this change? Yeah, I mean... As you say, you know, this is a big year, not only because of that big design you mentioned, you know, it's a big year for the update with what we're doing with apps like Safari and Messages. Obviously, we're supporting the move to Apple Silicon with M1, um, and we've marked that with, you know, I think a pretty big momentous name, Big Sur, as well yeah. as that shift to version 11. Um, and I think that's something for me that's, you know, pretty special. I started Apple when Mac OS 10 um, was in beta. And so, oh, wow. so moving to version 11, right? So it's a real milestone. <laughs> and yeah. I think that milestone really deserved a, you know, a step back and to sort of reconsider, you know, the operating system. And it, and it wasn't a change for change sake. I think what we did was really to, you know, carefully consider, you know, how everything should be. Um, to make sure we're applying that craft that the design team has um, and to have consistency, right? Both consistency within macOS, right? There's little things like every glyph and symbol and toolbars and sidebars, controls have all been redrawn so that they're, you know, completely consistent across the system. And 
It's the type of thing that I think it's actually sort of the hallmark of great design in terms of it's instantly familiar. It's not jarring at all when you jump in. It just kind of feels in its proper place. I notice it the most when I go back to a system um, that's not on Big Sur. And that's mm-hmm. that's when I notice, like, wow, how I, I feel like the new design is just so, so fresh. You know, Kurt, it's interesting because when you made the switch to Intel, the whole narrative was, look, nothing's changed. Your Mac looks exactly the same. And with this change, this really feels like Apple is just turning the page and saying the Mac is entering a new era. The, the underlying chip processor is different and superior, and the operating system itself has taken on a new look. And that's a very different approach. And again, I don't think it's change for change's sake. You know, this really is that, you know, honoring the Mac, right? And that's the things like bringing back the boot chime. Yeah. But we didn't just bring back the boot chime like we remastered everything. Everything's higher quality um, than it was before. Um, we, you know, kept that sort of attention to detail, right? So there's also consistency, you know, across platforms because, you know, vast majority of Mac users also have an iPhone and iPad. And so having consistency of things like app icons is super valuable. So when you move from one device to the next, there's no sort of mental overhead. It's really natural. But we we still wanted to do that in a way that was special to the Mac, right? And so that's when you look at the icons, there's still those, you know, details and hidden surprises. When you look at the mail icon, you you see the fine detail of Apple Park, California, and the zip code, you know, etched on the flap. And the, you know, the hammer and X code has the X inscribed in the tip of its handle. Um, so there's still all of those details. It's that's really honoring everything that we love about the Mac. And one of the points you make there is that, you know, the consistency with the other platforms but now we are getting the other app platform apps on the Mac, which is kind of awesome, you know. Uh, so we've got iOS and iPad apps coming to the Mac. What do you see are some of the benefits for users and developers with this change? Well, for consumers, you know, day one, they're going to have hundreds of thousands of new apps they can use, right? That's new games, more content they can watch, you know, more apps for, you know, just everything. And for developers, you know, that's a, a huge new customer base for their app with no development um, required. And I, I think it's going to be a great on-ramp. There's, I, I, we already have, you know, the top apps tend to have native versions across all of our platforms. But what we see is, you know, sometimes there's those smaller niche apps that, you know, they're doing fine on the iPhone and they're a small group and they haven't thought about going to the Mac. And I think what this will do is, A, their app is suddenly there without extra work. And B, it's a great way to validate the market. I think there's a lot of people who are going to realize, wow, this is it's worth taking that extra step and making a universal app after they see the reaction that their app gets. All right. I got it. I got to know. I, I'm sure you've been using one of these a little bit. What was the first iPhone or iPad app you ran out and put on your Mac? I got to say, among us, my kids got me into it. So that was that was one that I, I loved using. And the, when I'm talking to other people, a lot of the apps of what they use are very special purpose to them. I've got one person who, for, for him, it's a baby monitor that, sure. you know, that, that was only available on their phone. But when he's in the other room working on his laptop, now he can have the baby monitor up for someone else. It was, you know, the ability to control the hot tub 
um, and you know, turn the hot tub <laughs> on. And so I think everyone's going to have that one app that's just going to be kind of game changing for them. So you're telling me if I get like one of those, what is the bari- barometric chambers, I can control it with my Mac maybe? There's, there's hope for me. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I have a lot of questions, David, about how you're spending your free time all of a sudden, but we'll just... <laughs> I don't even know if I got the word that. right. This is great. We're getting to know each other. I love this. Yeah. Um, so Big Sur has this new design. It has this new app experience, but Apple has also spent time this year improving a lot of the core apps that just make the Mac the Mac. And the thing that I think of first, and really the app that I think maybe is the most Mac-like on the whole platform, is Safari. Uh, All the way up now to, was it, version 14 of Safari? Yep, version 14. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you keep a product like a browser that has been around since basically forever. How do you keep... Uh, improving it? What are the things that y'all look at to make this a better and better platform for navigating the web? Well, we're looking at what customers are doing. Um, I think there's a couple core principles there. Privacy has been one that we've been really focused on since day one, right? When we launched the browser back in 2003, right, we're the first browser ever to block third-party cookies by default. Um, Mm -hmm. And that. You know, there, there's steps like that where we've been leading um, the industry. Um, and, you know, we continue to push on things, right? The privacy report is one of the new features to really surface to customers, you know, all of the apps that are trying to track you and how Safari's protecting you, right? And you're able to get reports for individual websites or all websites, Um we also look at things like extensions as an area where there's been a lot of customer interest. And so we've taken steps to make it really easy for uh, extension developers to bring over extensions they might have developed for other platforms uh, by supporting the web extension API. Um, but at the same time, we're still very privacy focused, right? We are unlike other platforms where once you grant an extension um, that it has access to everything you do across the web. Um, you know, on Safari, we give you um, controls of exactly where and when do you want that extension to work. I'd like to talk a little bit about that web extension and the the new API stuff y'all are supporting. Uh, it has been a, a complaint of some some of our listeners that other browsers have a, a wider selection there. What does that process look like if you're developing a uh, a plugin or an extension for something like Chrome or Firefox to bring that to the Mac. Is that a pretty easy process for those developers? Yeah. With Safari 14, it's, it's really easy. We're, we're now extend now because we support the web extension API, the, the, the fundamental extension will just work. Um, it just needs to be packaged up um, for us to be put into the app store. And so we've actually made special tools in Xcode that make that whole process automatic. And then on the App Store side, we now have a brand new extension category in the Mac App Store, you know, both to make it easy for customers to find um, extensions as well as, you know, a great place for extension developers to highlight uh, their work. How does that extension system, both? because the thing I've always loved about Safari is security and, frankly, battery performance. It's, it doesn't, you know, slurp power like some yep. of its competitors. But uh, how do you get that extension system while preserving security? I think that's a concern a lot of people have. Well, 
it's about giving the customer choice. All right. Do they want the extension to work just for that site, just for that time? Um, or perhaps an extension that there's just a specific website that they want to work it to. I mean, that's that's one of the fundamental principles we have at Apple when it comes around privacy is transparency and control, making it really clear to the customer what an app, or in this case, an extension has the capabilities of doing and letting them know, um, you know, okay, wants to do this for this reason. Are you cool with that? And letting you say yes or no. Yeah, that really does sound fantastic. I mean, so many of these other extensions, like I'm not really sure what you're doing <laughs> to my computer or with my data. Uh, another core app on macOS, and one that I use just all day, every day, it's always open here on the bottom right corner of my display, is Messages. And it's that's the same corner that iChat lived in way back in the day. Um, and messages has just taken its, its yep. spot. Uh, but with Big Sur, Messages really has gotten... Uh, a lot more feature complete and robust compared to the iOS version. How did Apple go about getting that done? Well, the technology that we use to do that is something we call Catalyst. And that's a technology that we designed to make it really easy for a developer who might have an iPad app to bring over essentially that, that same code base and create a Mac app out of it. And so um, Catalyst will automatically you know, help with converting things that might be using touch into things really optimized for, you know, keyboard, trackpad, mouse, and and the things that make a Mac app a Mac app. And then letting, there's still work to be done by the developer to do that final touch of how do you sort of make those last, you've got the working app, now let's make it into a great Mac app. And I think Messages is a great example of this, right? Messages, when you use it on the Mac, is through and through. It's just a great Mac app. Um, it it doesn't feel like it's an iPad app in any way, and that's that's the way this technology is designed to work. Yeah, and, and you get to send lasers to people from your MacBook Pro. Who doesn't right? want that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so many. I mean, we've got so many new features. Right, the pin conversations, search is next level. Um, all the new group messaging features to be able to have a, a group photo inline replies mentions. And as you're talking about the message effects, right? So you can send something with lasers, confetti. Um, it's a lot of fun, right? We're bringing emojis oh. over for the first time. I like how I mentioned the fun one. You were like, look at all these other features that make it much better. And all those are great. Pinned conversations have changed the game for me in messages. I mean, it, it is great. Like I know right where I can tap to send a message to my spouse without, you know, scrolling through. And if a bunch of other work stuff is there, those features are really well thought out. I think. Well, we knew we made it when we started hearing in social people talking and asking about who's your top nine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's, that became like a, a common saying of, because you've got, you've got up to nine spaces you can use. And so you figure out who your top nine. It's good. It's like a, a, a inside iMessage rating system for people. It's great. <laughs> David, you're in mind. Don't worry. Oh, good. I, I would feel bad if I wasn't. But, <laughs> you know, I, I can't help but think, you know, look how far we've come on the Mac in just the last couple of years in terms of software availability. We've got Catalyst. You've got Swift UI where people can design for multiple platforms. And now, You've just got the ability to run native Mac and iPad apps on 
the Mac. And I honestly cannot wait until this technology makes it to some of these bigger screen devices where we'll be able to, you know, run an iPhone app in the corner of my iMac, for instance. It's just, you know, it, it's just remarkable to me how many angles you guys have come at this problem for the Mac users. I think the fundamental philosophy that we have is trying to be really clear about, you know, what makes each platform itself, right? What makes a Mac a Mac? What makes an iPhone an iPhone an iPad an iPad? And and leaning into that and extending and amplifying that what makes each platform great, but at the same time thinking about, well, what technologies should be common? And let's not build them, you know, three times, you know, let's, let's build the core technologies once. And that lets Apple focus its resources and have a, a multiplier effect. And it does the same thing for developers um, as well, um, so that they're able to reuse um, technology across the biggest market possible and focus their efforts on optimizing for each platform, right? And, and that's where they get to spend their time is how do you do things that are unique and special and perfect for each one of those platforms? Now, I'd like to move over to the to the new hardware for a little bit. The uh, the Apple Silicon Macs that got announced this week uh, look real impressive. Can you clarify the relationship between the M1 and the A14? A lot of people thought we'd see like an iPad style A14X, you know, as the new Macs, but this seems to go beyond that. Yeah, well, I, I'm not the chip person, so I, I I'm not going to talk too much about that. But the M1 is a new family of chips that are designed, um, you know, actually specifically for the set of computers that we introduced um, yesterday. What are some of the advantages from the operating system perspective or the Mac user perspective of having these new technologies in their Mac? Yeah, I mean, the exciting thing is this is the first time that we've been able to design Mac OS for our own silicon, right? And now we can have the hardware and set software designed together and as you say, there's brand new things we can do. Things like instant wake from sleep, which we all love on our iPhone and our iPad, right? It's instantly available. The thing never, never falls asleep. And now you've got that on, on your Mac. You just open the screen. It's ready to go. Tap on the space bar. It's ready to go. Yeah. Could you explain that a little bit further? Because I, you know, we saw that, you know, Craig Figueroa's very sexy demo of that, but <laughs> I, I, I didn't really understand. I mean, what does that mean in comparison to like an Intel Mac? And, and also there's the idea of the instant app load too. And, you know, how does that work? Yeah. Well, you, you really got to try it to really feel it because I, I know, I mean, the Macs wake up pretty fast today. And so there is kind of the, well, how much faster can it be? It really is that much faster. And that, that really goes across the entire system. Once you use one of these things, you notice how just insanely responsive everything is. You, you click to launch an app, even, you know, really professional apps like Final Cut Pro, and it just launches. The responsiveness is just so fast. And I think a big part of that, there's a lot. I mean, obviously the, the chips themselves are powerhouses and that's a big part of it. Um, but another big part of that is our unified memory architecture, right? Where on a, uh, in a previous system, you'd have different components, you know, CPU, GPU, and memory would be in different places. And what you would have to do is move um, data formats, you know, between those systems and they might use 
need to be translated into a different format. And each time you have to copy, move, translate, it adds just a little bit of latency. And so with the unified memory architecture, we have everything in one place and you don't need to translate. You don't need to copy and all of your different components can just get access to that data super fast. And that is, you know, one of the, you know, one of the secrets to how this thing is just so snappy and responsive. Yeah. Steven and I were talking about this offline yesterday. You know, the term bus really is appropriate because you were busing data all over your computer and uh, that's just not true anymore. Right. Exactly right. You don't need to hop on the bus. You're already there. <laughs> I'm thinking about the uh, episode of Magic School Bus. My kids watched it recently, like how a computer works. And of course, it was in the 90s, right? So you have like big parallel ribbon cables going everywhere. And now it's all in this one, you know, little chip built on the world's most advanced manufacturing process. Uh, so I guess Magic School Bus needs to update their episode is what, is what we're saying. It's not just the sort of launch speed of apps and responsiveness the actual performance of apps is significantly faster, right? Some of the numbers we talked about, we talked about Safari, which already is the world's fastest browser where JavaScript is now running one and a half times faster, right? It's almost two times more responsive, right? Logic Pro lets you run three times more instruments. Final Cut can do things like rendering complex timelines up to six times faster. So um, the performance is another huge benefit of this transition. I'm still trying to wrap my head around this RAM, though. So it's like you have a pool of RAM where historically you'd have RAM on your video card and RAM on your on your computer. But now it's I guess it's all combined into one pool. Exactly right. And that effectively gives you, you know, more memory available since, you know, that that one big pool is available to every system. The thing that jumped out at me, uh, especially watching the MacBook Air section of the the event yesterday was that this is going to unlock workflows for people that maybe in the past you had to buy a more expensive machine. So you mentioned Final Cut. That's what came to mind for me. I think that's a, a kind of an easy example for people to wrap their their heads around about doing things like multi-stream 4K editing, things that it's not the MacBook Air previously couldn't do it, but this new one is so much better at it that it 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 opens up opportunities at new price points. Is that something that you... Uh, they all thought about that and and putting these machines together and putting Big Sur together is, is types of workflows you could unlock? I mean, there, there's so much that it unlocks because you have this next generation of power. You know, we had, you know, internal at Apple, someone who's a professional photographer using this, who switched over to using the MacBook Air as his primary system. And so, you know, this is something that you would have never planned on doing before where you can color grade, you know, huge libraries of photos and Lightroom just instantaneously. And, you know, now you have this option of having this incredibly compact form factor, you know, perfectly silent, fanless with this insane battery life that, you know, can can keep going longer than most people stay awake. So it, it absolutely is opening up brand new markets and brand new opportunities. The battery life does seem like a game changer. I remember in college with a power book, you know, you don't leave the dorm without a power adapter. Now with the MacBook Pro, I feel much better about leaving the house without one. But this seems like a whole new thing. I mean, I think the MacBook Pro was doubling its video playback. I mean, that that 
back in the before time, we could fly across the country. I mean, this seems like a miracle to me. Uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about what you think that will mean in terms of uh, users and how they relate to these machines? Yeah, I mean, if you think about taking a flight with one of these, it's pretty hard to find a flight that will last longer um, than the battery life <laughs> of these machines. And, you know, the way we're able to do this, of course, you know, with, with so many of the things about these laptops is a combination of hardware and software. And so, you know, this is a evolution of where we started with iPhone, right? With an iPhone, you need to be able to have battery life that lasts all day long. And so as we increasingly made the devices more and more powerful, you know, we couldn't do that by using more battery, right? We, we had to make them more powerful while continuing to be incredibly power efficient or actually becoming even more power efficient. Um, and one of the things that Big Sur does really well, taking advantage of the new M1 chip, is optimizing for the M1's performance cores and efficiency cores. So, you know, if you're doing something that really doesn't need too much power, you know, we can just really optimize and focus on those efficiency cores. But immediately switching over the second you do something that needs whether sustained performance or long performance, maybe it's just downloading a web page in an instant, or maybe, you know, you're actually editing some raw video. Um, it, it's, it's a, able to adjust. And so what that means is you get really quiet performance and incredible battery life. It's able to give you the best of both worlds. You know, there were several references yesterday um, in the keynote about how you're able to kind of incorporate programming tasks into your own custom silicon. And I think they made reference at one point to video encodes, like that is now just offloaded to the new custom Apple Silicon. So it's going to go way faster than when we used to have to do it in software. But there wasn't a lot of detail. Can you give us a little more explanation of how that works and some of the tasks that you're trying to put on to the Silicon itself at this point? Well, what we've been able to do is when we design the chip, we understand the workloads um, of what, how people use Macs. And so we were able to design the chips and optimize for the tasks that people are doing, right? Something that we've never been able to do before until we had our own silicon. I mean, that, that sort of integration is something Apple has talked about for a long time on its other devices. Uh, I, think, I think in particular about the iPad Pro, this incredibly powerful device that I can carry in my backpack and not even notice the weight, right? Um, and it's exciting to us as Mac users to see some of that coming, uh, coming to the Mac, that, that integration. Does that uh, change the way that you think about features in the OS where you can now, I guess, go down the hall and talk to the chip guys and say, hey, we would like to do this sort of thing? Like, what does that sort of look like now in this new world? Exactly right. So without, you know, getting into talking about the future, can definitely tell you you know, the experiences that we've had developing iPhone and iPad, it, it's a two-way conversation, right? Sometimes we're seeing amazing breakthroughs in, in hardware and they're coming to us and look what we can do. And like, we're thinking, wow, think about what we can do with that. And sometimes it works the other way. Like, here's a problem we're trying to solve and how can you help us solve that problem? Um, and so, this is where Apple's strengths in hardware, software integration, our whole culture of how we work together, um, you know, really comes to play. And so this is just 
the beginning of that transition, right? This is amazing. We're going to have a seamless transition to these new devices, which are so responsive, so fast, such great battery life, you know, the best security protections, you know, we've ever had. So all of that day one, an amazing software story, right? So seamless transition on software and more apps on the Mac than you've ever had before. Um, But we just get to, we're just getting started, right? As you say, this is going to open us up the door to looking at brand new opportunities. I mean, it feels like in a lot of ways to me, it's like um, closing the chapter on something for me that started with the very first Mac I used back in college in the 80s. It's like, yes, of course, Apple would want to make their own silicone. Um, you talked earlier about the the low performance and the high performance cores. Will software developers be able to write into their software any way to address that stuff? So like, I, they can also kind of customize the experience users get? Uh, the good thing is they don't have to. It's all done automatically. And so, uh, which is actually a great benefit to developers because, you know, the natural state of an app will fluctuate, you know, millisecond to millisecond um, between what they need. Um, and so you don't want to have to optimize, okay, go high performance now, efficiency now. You want it to just happen instantaneously, which is exactly what we do. Kind of like an offshoot. Was it Grand Central Dispatch, I think they used to call, that yes. kind of managed that for the developers? Yep. All right. The um, So now you've been using a Silicon Mac for a little while. I, I can tell you for me personally, I am super excited about just this whole idea of instant on and instant apps. But but what are some of the things that were game changers for you? The first thing I notice is just how insanely responsive things are. Things that you never thought were at all slow before, but the way that everything just happens. And the other one is... there. <laughs> I literally thought the battery indicator was broken. I'd been using the thing for hours <laughs> and hours, and the battery indicator basically hadn't budged. Um, and I really thought it was a bug. Um, but no, it's a it's just a different level of what you're able to get out of the battery because this thing is so efficient. And that just it changes how you use the device. I mean, it's I, I think there's gonna be people who it's not. You don't even need to charge every day, like depending on how you use the thing, you know, you can go days without charging it. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Steven and I talked a lot leading up to your announcements, like, well, are they going to improve performance or are they going to go crazy with battery life? And I guess the answer is both. Yep. (laughs) It is the best of all worlds. It's, it's not often that you get to make that type of step function, right? Usually um, moving forward is about making hard trade-offs. And this is one of these rare cases where, you know, no, we, we get to get it all. It's, it's awesome. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for sharing some time with us today and your experience. Obviously we are all super eager to get our hands on these new Macs and the way they work with Big Sur. And if anything, you've just got me more excited. David, Stephen was awesome talking with you and uh, you absolutely should get a hand, your hands on those as soon as you can. My order is in. Same. (laughs) (laughs) This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Head over to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. 1Password is the password manager both Steven and I use. They've been a longtime sponsor of the show. We really appreciate that. But I was a paying customer long before they sponsored the Mac Power Users because I just think it's the superior product. 
OnePassword is made by a team of people that are just dedicated to protecting your online and on-device security. Uh, with OnePassword, you just need to remember your one password, and it takes care of the rest for you. So, uh, you know, you don't have to remember that long, complicated, unique password you make for each website. One password does that for you. It even comes up with that long, complicated password for you. So it's just a great way to have your cake and eat it too when it comes to online security. Another thing I love about One Password is that it allows you to have a separate vault of data on your device. I just had to go to the doctor lately, and I keep a One Password note with all of my notes whenever I go to the doctor. So when they say, When did you get that medication or whatever? I can just go into one password and they have what they call secure notes. And I've got this note in there with all the stuff in it, medications, uh, visit history and all that stuff. So I've got a secure way to keep my own personal medical data on my device. And if someone gets my phone and unlocks it somehow, they are not going to get to that data. And I use that for a lot of things like all of my family's social security numbers and, you know, anything else that you consider secret. Maybe if you're the colonel, you know, and you had your seven secret herbs and spices, you'd put it in a one password note. That'd be the way to protect it. <laughs> so so whatever it is you need to protect, you can do it in one password. It's just a great system. And on top of that, you get all that great one password secure login for all of your websites. It's a great service. They have plans for individuals, but they also have plans for family and business. I really recommend the family plan if you've got a family uh, I signed up for it several years ago when they first announced it. And the thing I've noticed is my kids and my wife are all using 1Password on a daily basis. And I think that's just a really great habit for them to develop. So I'm, I'm real happy with it. If you want to get 1Password, go over to onepasswordcom slash MPU. Needs to be in all caps to get that 20% off. That's the test part. So make it all caps. And let them know you heard about it here at the Mac Power Users. Thanks, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users. So I think we start by talking through the the Apple M1. You know, Apple's been making their own systems on a chip for many, many years. All right, it started in the iPad and then the iPhone and then the watch and the HomePod. And now uh, the Mac has joined that family. And this is going to be a process. You know, Apple announced this back at WBDC that it was going to take uh, up to two years. And what we've seen so far, the M1, Apple positioned it in, in the event, which I think you and I both have watched twice now. <laughs> uh, I yeah. rewatched it this morning. Apple's positioning the M1 as their solution for their lower power, lower cost machines, right? Thin notebooks, the Mac Mini. Uh, there will be some other shoe to drop, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, for higher end Systems, But they're starting at the low end, which I think is what a lot of people expected. But what is impressive to me, even though this is designed for their, quote, low end systems, it seems like a, a real beast of a of a chip. Yeah, I mean, we've all been kind of watching the benchmarks on Apple iPhones and iPads creep up towards PC uh, performance levels, and even in some cases exceed them. And this has been going on over about, I was about five years now, everybody started thinking, huh, I wonder if Apple's going to stick with Intel forever. And then, and we did a whole show on the Intel-Apple relationship last month, which I'd recommend go listening to if you haven't, to kind of give some context to all this. But, you know, for a variety of reasons we explained in that show, Apple is now running their own, their own show with their chips. And mm -hmm. 
this is a 16 billion processor or transistor processor. And um, the thing that, you know, one of the things you have to wrap your head around, I was just talking to a friend about this yesterday, is that they have combined multiple chips into one. And this is something we really didn't talk about in that Intel uh, show, but Apple's evolved the Mac chip system over the last several years. And they've been taking bits and pieces out of the iPhone and iPad system on a chip and putting them on the Mac. Um, the the T2 is a great example. You know, that's in my mm-hmm. iMac Pro. It's a security chip, but it also manages bus travel, like it moves data between the hard drives and the processor. And it does a whole bunch of little extra tasks. And that's gone now on the Silicon Macs because, Apple Silicon Macs, because it's just incorporated into their system on a chip. And they made a big deal about it in the presentation, how so many of the pieces have now been kind of folded into Mm -hmm. this one system on a chip. Uh, That includes things like the security, um, you know, segment and the video card segment. And then there's also, they have incorporated the RAM. And and Stephen, can you explain that? Because I think that's something that's confusing for a lot of people. Yeah, it it is confusing because this is a very unusual way to build a traditional computer. But what this unified memory architecture uh, means is that there's basically one pool of memory for everything. So on an Intel Mac or, you know, a PC that you may build or or buy, you have, you know, regular RAM uh, where, you know, on some machines you could pop it open and upgrade. Uh, and that RAM was used as a uh, basically a buffer for the CPU. And so the more RAM you had, the more smoothly your system would run. It could handle things like big file operations more smoothly. Then you would have your GPU and it would either have its own memory or on machines with integrated graphics like the previous MacBook Air, it would borrow some of that system memory. But it was all divided out. So you had the CPU and then you would have the RAM and then you would have the GPU and they were all separate. And information would have to be shuttled back and forth and translated back and forth. And what this system on a chip really means is that now there is one pool of memory, one pool of you know RAM that all of these different components, the CPU, the GPU, the neural engine, they can all pull and push data to it all together. And that speeds up operations uh, across the whole system. Now, in the M1 Max, it also means that you can't upgrade the RAM later. Now, that's been true on the notebooks. The Mac Mini, you could replace the memory. Uh, li- longtime listeners will know <laughs> that last year at Mac Stock, I crack opened uh, Rosemary Orchard's Mac Mini and put RAM in it in a cafeteria with a bunch of people watching. I've, I have a very specific type of performance art, I guess. It's it's Mac upgrades. Yeah. Nope, no pressure. No yeah, pressure. yeah don't, don't break a Mac in front of 100 people. But... um. The M1, that's all baked into the system on a chip. And we really don't know at this point what this means for higher-end systems. You know, that's speculation for a different day. But really what it means now is that these these new Macs are not only simpler inside, um, but it means that they are much faster at a lot of the computing-level stuff. And it's weird. It's a weird way to build a computer, but it's how iPads and iPhones and Android phones is how um, almost everything else in the world has been built for a long time now. 
And the Mac is moving to this new style, this new generation of construction. And uh, the result of all this is that Apple can speed almost everything up. Yeah, I mean, we talked in the interview with Kurt about buses. And the fact is, with this memory, there there really is no bus. The memory is part of the system on a chip, which would, in theory, allow the system to address that memory much faster. And whether it's calling to that memory for video or for compute power, it would be very um, versatile or agile in terms of what it right. does with the memory. Right. And and we have to get them. We have to see how they actually operate. And, you know, maybe this is a bunch of smoke and mirrors, but it, it seems like something that might be really impressive. And one of the questions being you know asked in the forums is with this new way of doing memory, you know, how do you decide between eight gigabytes and 16 gigabytes mm-hmm. for your memory? And I don't think we know yet. We got to try it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I don't think we know. I mean, historically, the advice has been, you know, get as much as you can afford, especially in a machine you can't upgrade it later. But even in the last couple of years, I felt like for most users, that hasn't actually been true. Because if you do end up using all your memory and it has to go out to the SSD for those tasks, the SSDs are so fast, you're probably not even going to notice. And Maybe for power users, this still matters, but I think for someone like buying a, a, a laptop for their kid to go to college or you want a home machine or, you know, something in the office, this may not matter as much as it used to. Again, we don't know. Um, you know, at this point, these things aren't in the hands of users yet. Uh, I, I can promise you <laughs> we're going to have a feedback show where you and I talk about our experiences with these machines because I really want to get into that. But as of this point, it's a little unknown, you know, uh, there's a lot about this that is just new, right? Because Macs haven't been built this way before. Yeah, and you know, but the the takeaway is like all of the subsidiary chips that Apple has been populating the Mac with over the last several years are going to go the way of the dodo as Apple moves into all Apple Silicon. I think we're going to see that you know the T2 goes away and like a lot of the stuff on yeah. the motherboard is no longer necessary. Yes, I would imagine, because we kind of got a shot of it, but, you know, all the parts are flying around. But I imagine when someone takes the bottom off one of these new MacBook Airs, that logic board is going to look much, much simpler than before. Yeah. And then the other thing that's kind of significant is they've now moved to a 5 nanometer process. Um, As we talked about in the Intel episode, Intel is now struggling to get to a 7 nanometer process. But... uh, Taiwan Semiconductor has five nanometers Mm -hmm. down and they're building this, which, you know, really helps with the discussion we'll have later about battery life and power. But I mean, this is just a a different animal altogether to a historical Intel chip in a Mac. It's it's a rare time. And they said this in their event. This is a this is something that doesn't come along very often in computing. You know, when when the Mac went from PowerPC to Intel, Mac users got a, you know, two, three, four times improvement in, in power, but that was already an existing product. This is something new, and that's something that's pretty rare. I mean, this technology is really mature across the whole industry. And even though Intel has struggled and, you know, now you have AMD and their Ryzen family of CPUs really, uh, in some cases, beating Intel at their own game, you know, this is constructed in a different way. And it is it is and like at the fundamental level. And it means that 
how we used to gauge performance and how we used to think about these things has to change, right? Things like that, that universal memory architecture. It's going to take us a little while to understand that and get it, but it's exciting for those of us who are really into these things because it doesn't come along that often, right? It's, it's, it's kind of, in, in some ways, once in a, like, you know, once in a generation type thing, you know, maybe when x86 first started or, you know, the gigahertz barrier got broken, but it's rare. Well, you know, well, it kind of reminds me of the initial launch of the iPhone. And there were all these stories about <clears throat> that came out later about all these other industry competitors that just didn't believe it. There was the guy at a BlackBerry who said, this is fake. This mm-hmm. isn't real. It's not even possible. And I think that that is partly the response we're seeing to this announcement with some of the kind of the tip, the you know, the standard tech press that's really not, you know, following Apple that closely. They, yeah. they don't believe it. And um, except in ca- this case, we've got this track record of Apple making these amazing processors on iPad and iPhone. So if you spend any time thinking about it, you're like, okay, so... What they did here was they took an iPad processor as their first step and they added two more power cores and a bunch of other stuff you need for a Mac and in like, I think, 35% or so more transistors. So they beefed it up and they put it in a Mac. Well, we already know iPad Pros are benchmarking against MacBook Pros. So what would happen if you had 35% more transistors? Yeah. And, it gets a lot you know, faster. <laughs> yeah, and and we, you know, just to kind of, you know, not bury the lead, we've already seen as we record this one benchmark leak where this MacBook Air, fanless MacBook Air, is outperforming the top of the line 16 inch MacBook Pro mm-hmm. in terms of benchmarks. Now, benchmarks are just benchmarks. We don't know what that means, but that's an indicator that this is a this is a beast yeah <laughs> a panelist beast so the macbook air which you know was a, a tiny fraction mm-hmm. of speed with an intel chip is now running you know faster than a, <laughs> a 16 inch macbook pro with the top end processor yeah. <laughs> what is, is happening their, <laughs> yeah and this is the m1 this is the slowest apple yeah. silicon that will ever be released <laughs> oh know? yeah that's a funny way of, of saying it uh i do want to talk a little bit about the gpu on this, it is integrated into this system on a chip, so it's not a discrete video card somewhere. That may come later, potentially in Macs that have those now. Again, that's sort of the unknown. We don't know how this scales up yet, uh, but they're doing something um, pretty cool. It's a it's an eight core GPU. Uh, the entry model MacBook Air has a seven core GPU, and looking at those benchmarks that have leaked, there's not a huge difference between the two. So, I don't I don't know if you should necessarily uh upgrade that and if you're you know i would i would spend that money elsewhere first is what i'm saying yeah can we just explain real quick though what binning means and how yes. there's a seven and an eight core yeah uh, processor so so how this is working binning is a process where uh apple and its partner um tsmc that who are actually building these they uh have yields right so they they build all these chips and then they go through quality assurance and some of them just by nature, will be a little bit better, a little bit worse than the others. And so what bending is, these are the same parts, but the seven-core GPU are ones that uh, they felt meet that standard but don't meet the standard for eight, or they were unable to to get the eighth one going. That doesn't mean that it's a lesser chip in terms of quality. Uh, uh, You know, Apple's quality assurance is very good, and they've already been doing this. So the 
the iPad Pro 2020 with the A12Z, that's how they're doing that because that, that gained one more GPU core. So it's just a tweak to an existing process. Um, and so, you know, I think if you're buying a MacBook Air, I would put money towards storage first and then memory and then GPU. Uh, I, I don't think the seven to eight differences is going to be all that noticeable. Agreed. Agreed. I, I think it's just don't buy. Definitely spend your money on the RAM before you do on that extra graphics uh, processor. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other just just quick things about the M1 before we get into uh, the products. Uh, all three of these machines that have been announced have two Thunderbolt USB 4 ports, just, just two ports. Uh, that is a limitation of the M1. Again, whatever comes next would have more ports, probably. Um, <laughs> and we can talk about that in the individual machines as we get there. Um, they all uh, also have... Uh, eight core CPUs, and they're doing what they did in the iPhone and iPad. You have four fast ones, four efficient ones, and Big Sur. And we talked some about this with uh, with Kurt. Is Big Sur can light those up individually as needed. So unless you, you know, need the high performance core, you'll be on the efficiency cores, just sipping just the tiniest bits of power from your battery, and then it can fire up those fast ones as you need it. There was something like that in the Intel world, but it kind of worked inside out from this where you had your base clock and then it could turbo boost up to faster speeds, but it was, you know, the same core. So this this does work differently, but the idea is kind of the same. Hey, most of the time you don't actually need all the power of this when you're just, you know, in iMessage and, you know, reminders and sort of those sort of low uh, you know, low energy use apps, but yeah, when you fire up iMovie or GarageBand or Final Cut, yeah, let's light those fast ones up. When you're gonna ha- have a game going, light those fast ones up, and that's when it really kicks into to the higher speed. Yeah, okay, so I want to talk about this for a second. This is a technology that Apple developed largely to keep your phone alive all day, right? Um, <laughs> most yep. of the stuff you do on your phone is low power stuff. You're not playing games on your phone 24/7 or or rendering video out of iMovie on your phone. So for as you go throughout your day, they have the same situation. They've got these kind of efficient cores which are smaller cores don't use as much power. And that's the whole problem here is power, you know. Uh, and then they have the 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 performance cores that draw more power that but give you better performance. And the software does the job of, or the operating system does the job of figuring out when you need low power versus high power. And they're going to always favor low power because keeping your phone alive all day is really important. And so they brought that technology over to these laptops. And you've got the same thing. You've got four, in this case, you got four efficient cores on the new MacBooks and four performance cores. The thing that is just keeping me awake at night is at some point we're going to get the M2 or M3 or M1X or whatever mm-hmm. that's going to be made for an iMac, okay? An iMac is plugged into the wall 24/7. I don't think you need those efficient cores so much with an iMac, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's how I think that's how I think about it too. So what if instead of four performance cores and four efficient cores you had you know eight performance cores and two efficient cores, yeah. you know? And the current, you know, in addition to, you know, beating the 16-inch MacBook Pro, 
the MacBook Air is in the ballpark with the entry-level Mac Pro. You know, the computer that is on your desk that costs as much as a car? <laughs> that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, just imagine if, when they get around to putting this in the iMac, if they, you know, if they rearrange that balance for a computer that, you know, keeping a battery running all day isn't important or isn't even an issue. What are we going to get then, Stephen? Ooh, a screamer is what we're going to get. It's going to be just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that on the desktops, they will keep the high efficiency cores, but I think you're right. The balance could be totally different and very exciting from a performance perspective. Yeah, well, I, I do think they want to have your computer not, you know, slur- electricity is still, uh, you know, and is still a limited resource and we don't want to just waste it. But I, at the same time, I feel like when that thing wants to go fast, it should be able to go as fast as it wants. I, I'm just so, this is why I'm excited, yep. gang, because this is like <laughs> step one and there's all these extra steps coming down the road. And, um, and I feel like this is the step one is great. You know, this M one is going to make a MacBook air and, it, you know, feel like 16 inch MacBook pro in terms of speed that that is crazy. And oh no, by the way, the price didn't change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I could make an argument that the price could have gone down because, um, they're not paying Intel anymore, but, uh, you know, then the, you know, flip side is developing your own chips probably cost a few bucks. Yeah. And know? look, all so, of those Mac pros in that, Chip lab, they all had wheels on them. That's got to get paid for somehow. Yeah. yeah, they did. I saw that. Oh, I noticed it uh, as a as a Mac Pro wheel uh, fan. Well, not only that, after they installed them, they had to have a contractor come in to level the entire room Shh. to make sure they didn't roll we away. Talk about that. Mine's on a rug. It can't go very far. Uh, I did want to talk just briefly. We, have, we had questions about this from listeners about uh, running windows on these m1 Macs, and unfortunately at this point i don't have good news for you so you have windows itself and you have the tools to virtualize uh, one boot camp is is gone so you're not going to be able to dual boot these into some other os uh, like windows in the past uh, that's gone it's still there on intel it's still in big sur on intel max but on m1 arm max no more boot camp Parallels and Fusion, which are the two, I think, most popular ways of virtualizing another OS on top of the Mac, neither of those products are ready today. I've got a blog post I'll put in the show notes uh, that I wrote talking through the state of Parallels and VMware Fusion, and basically both of them have said, "Uh, we're working on stuff, we'll be back later. Even when those tools are available or something like VirtualBox, there's a couple of different free kind of open source tools. Even when they're available, at this point, your OS options are going to be really limited. All Apple showed at WWDC was an ARM compatible version of Linux running as a virtual machine. And Parallel says that was a prototype version a parallel. So uh, I'm very curious what that means. Like, what does it look like to have a prototype version of a virtualization software? But currently, uh, Windows, even so, so there is an ARM version of Windows, we should say. And you can go out and buy Surface Pro X and a couple of other devices that run the ARM version of Windows. And the ARM version of Windows has gotten better. Uh, Microsoft recently announced 
new compatibility for it in running old uh, Intel Windows apps. But Microsoft, nor Apple, nor any of these companies have said anything about being able to virtualize Windows for ARM on these M1 Macs. That doesn't mean it won't always be impossible. Uh, I, I read a paper, and I'm not even going to... I tried looking for it today, and I couldn't find it. If I, if I can find it, I'll put it in the, in the show notes. But it was a really deep dive into some of the architectural reasons this may be difficult for Microsoft to do. And honestly, I don't know if Microsoft has a lot of reasons to do it, especially when they sell... <laughs> the Surface Pro X that is an ARM device. And so if you need to, if you really have to run Windows on your Mac, these are not the machines for you currently. That may change. It may not. But currently, at least, if you're dependent on that, you're going to need to keep an Intel machine around or pick up, you know, a PC to, to have those tasks done. Yeah, I'd be shocked if... Apple was ever as good at running Windows on Apple Silicon as it was on Intel chips. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, it's just such a, you know, it's a different processor. Um, I would, I would recommend if, if you need to run Windows to get your work done and your Mac is near end of life, you should be looking into buying one of those Intel Macs before there's no more available. Yes. Um, and, you know, get one that'll last you four or five years and yeah. you'll be fine. And by then the whole world will be different anyway. And, you may not even need it, but the, um, but I think, um, you know, relying on Apple and Microsoft to dedicate a bunch of resources to make, you know, windows scream on these computers is, is probably not a good idea. Um, you know, the, the switch here is you get all your iPad and your iPhone apps on your Mac, but you, you're not going to get windows and I don't Mm -hmm. know that you ever will. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just a trade-off that people need to, to weigh for themselves. Uh, And I'll say too, that if you do, upgrade to one of these and you need to run windows for stuff like i like the surface line i've got a surface laptop and it's great so there are good options if you need to run windows unfortunately fancy new macs not one of those options this episode of mac power users is brought to you by indeed if you go to indeed.com slash mpu you can try it out with a free 75 dollar credit which is really cool so, so what is this? Uh, what is Indeed? It is the number one job site in the world, has more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Look, we all know that 2020 has drastically changed how a lot of people work. Businesses are challenged to be as efficient as possible, and it means that every hire is really important. And there's a lot of great people out there, and Indeed helps you sort through all of that stuff. It lets you help find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. And unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. So say that you're not always hiring, right? Maybe you're a smaller business and you need to hire somebody now and maybe you need to hire somebody again in three months. Well, Indeed lets you pause your account. There's no long-term contract, so you're not paying for something you don't need. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality people whose resumes on Indeed match your criteria, and you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. I've hired people, and like you're sorting through piles of resumes on your desk. Indeed takes all that away. 
73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month. Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for their hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering MPU listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posting, which means more quality candidates will see it. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com MPU. This is their best offer anywhere. It's really cool. So that's Indeed.com MPU. The offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Apple just didn't announce the new M1 chip. They also put it in some computers, which is <laughs> That's good. the important part. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the first one they announced was the new MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. Um, so the MacBook Air has a long history of, of love, frankly, in the Apple community. I feel like that wedge-shaped MacBook Air, the really kind of the second iteration of it, might be the most beloved Mac from our audience, I mean, because so many people own those, and some people are still rocking them after all these years. And um, then it got weird because they had the bad keyboard and the Retina one. They finally fixed that last year. But, man, this new MacBook Air that they've added the M1 to, I feel like, is the spiritual successor of that one we all loved 10 years ago. Yeah, I think so. It really looks fantastic. Apple didn't do anything with the design, so it looks as good and feels as good as ever. Uh, my wife has one of the Intel Retina MacBook Airs, and anytime I pick it up or need to use it for something, it's like, oh, I just, everything about this design is good. Um, so they didn't mess with any of that, right? If it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah. What is cool about this is all that stuff we spoke about with the M1 uh, is now in this MacBook Air. And they made it fanless. You know, one thing we spoke about leading up to this was, you know, the iPad can do all this without a fan. You know, could they bring that to the Mac? And they they had that 12-inch MacBook that was fanless, and it struggled, and it really wasn't fast enough, and Apple finally ditched it. But with Apple Silicon and the M1, they're able to run this completely silently. And I think that's going to be a really big deal for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this is just a tiny bit bigger than what, what Gray called it, the MacBook Adorable 12-inch. Yeah. And it's just a tiny bit bigger, but it has a, a keyboard that works. And it has performance of a current 16-inch MacBook Pro, and it has no fan. So it's like, wow, what a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it incorporates all the M1 elements we talked about. This is the one where... You can choose between the seven and the eight core GPU. The you know the entry level is got that seven core. We talked about binning in the last segment, so the ones that ended up in the seven core bin are in this entry level MacBook Air. But uh, as Stephen said, I don't think it, the difference is going to be negligible. I mean, if you're a Mac Power Users fan and you just want to have the greatest, go ahead and upgrade. Um, it's basically you're paying $50 for it, the way you look at the math, because you get a bigger SSD, which is about a $200 value, and it's a $50, you know, it's a $250 upgrade. So, you know, make your own choice. But it, it's a uh, it's a MacBook Air without a fan that's got screaming screaming performance. It's the fastest laptop Apple sells at this point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> crazy. And and I really. I'm really happy they did the MacBook Air first. It's the most popular Mac. Apple, anytime 
Apple talks about the MacBook Air. They mentioned that, that it is the their best-selling 13-inch notebook. It is extremely popular. And I think that a lot of people who end up with one of these are going to be really happy because it is so much faster. Uh, you know, they were throwing out numbers like the CPU is three and a half times faster. The SSDs are twice as fast. Uh, the machine learning, which... Okay, most users don't have machine learning tasks, but a lot of applications use it now. A lot of photo editing and stuff uses machine learning to, you know, do fill and color correction and stuff. That's nine times faster. And again, it's something that is completely silent. You know, one thing that really bothers Mary about her MacBook Air, she's using she's using it to teach remotely this semester. You know, uh, our schools are, are currently all re- remote here. And she's on Microsoft Teams and video conferencing every day. And her MacBook Air, that little fan, is just screaming all day. And it bothers her. You know, she can hear it. Her students can hear it. And when I told her that this was going to be fanless, she was excited because it really impacts her, like, every day that she uses her laptop. Yeah. And there's there's a downside to being fanless. But, you know, as well, we'll talk about that later. But... Overall, I think for most users, the fanless design is going to be a big win. I think so, too. And just the overall performance, like you were saying, is just crazy. You know, double the speed with the SSD. Well, that's because you've got the T2 basically built into the chip. So the the I.O. is being governed by the processor. So it's going to go much faster. And then all of the, those processor gains, it's just, it's like a completely different computer, even though it looks identical on the outside. Mm-hmm. And um, I just I just can't get over it. And and then we haven't even mentioned the battery life. I mean, when when we were talking on the show a few weeks ago, we we talked about you know how are they going to decide, like you know, with this Apple Silicon, they could make it double the battery life, or they could like you know double the performance. But you know they're going to have to choose which way to go. I had speculated, well, the MacBook Air will be the one that doesn't get much faster, but it has a way long battery life and. The MacBook Pro will get, you know, much faster, but have the regular battery life. Well, the answer is they got both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember we said this is like a once in a generation thing. That's it right there. That uh, all of these things, there's a slider between efficiency and performance. And Apple was able to dial that in on this. All this speed in the same thin little notebook. And they're saying, uh, you know, 15 to 18 hours of battery life, depending on what you're doing. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And I'm going to apply, you know, computer maker math and say 12 yes. hours of battery yeah. life. <laughs> Which is still an improvement. And, like the current one, I think, is listed at eight and I say maybe six, yeah. six or five. Sure. You know? So it, it's just crazy, though. I mean, I'm not using a computer 12 hours a day, Mm-mm. so I'll be fine, you know. Yeah. Well, I think what it what it means is that people who take these you know out into the world you don't have to worry about taking your charger with you or you know you don't have to we've all done this right you scope out the seat in the coffee shop or the airport next to the power outlet and i think for a lot of people they'll be able to just charge their macbook air at night and you know take it with them to class or wherever during the day and that's pretty cool it's just like the ipad in the sense that like and the iPad, using the iPad is different from charging the iPad. How often do you use it plugged in, right? Yeah, very, very. I think very it's going to be the same for these laptops. And um, 
you know, I, I got all excited during the interview with Kurt about the instant on, because I think that's something that is going to be a huge benefit for everybody that gets one of these. It sounds silly, but you know, the whole process of turning your computer on and waiting for everything to like get to a point where you can use it. That's a friction that I, I really don't like. And um, it sounds like they're going to knock that out with these new computers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And I think that people not only will appreciate it now, but longer battery life also means that if you hold on to this machine for three, four, five, six years, you know, batteries degrade. That's just part of our physical world. But if you start with such a large capacity, it means that even years and years down the road, uh, it should age better than they currently do, which is which is also really nice. Yeah, they did upgrade the screen over the prior versions. Now it has the P3 wide color. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't get quite as bright as the MacBook Pro. We'll talk about that in a minute. They made a big deal about improvements to the camera performance, but you know they um, they didn't actually change the camera. It's still a 720p camera. It just gets better uh, it, uh, image signal processing than it did before. Yeah, I was hoping they'd go to 1080, especially in our world of Zoom meetings. But the ISP stuff should help. Uh, clearly, they think that it helped enough. They didn't have to do anything else. So I guess we're just going to have to see how that goes. And I honestly think to improve cameras and laptops, they've got to make this the screen thicker and uh, or have some kind of massive jump in technology and mm-hmm. i'm not sure either one of those things is going to happen anytime soon yeah and uh the price so we hadn't talked about that yet um you can get into the entry-level model which is i think <clears throat> for the first time a totally acceptable computer i mean they've upped the the storage to 256 the seven graphics versus eight graphics cores is irrelevant um for 999 you can get a computer that's going to work just fine mm-hmm and if you want to go more, you can get it with 16 gigabytes of unified memory and up to two terabytes of solid state storage. So if you want a sort of a maxed out, pretty nice uh, <laughs> MacBook Air, you can do that. Now you can get it up over two grand that way, but if you need a lot of storage, you can now do that in the Air. Yeah, and and one piece of advice I'd give when you're buying one of these is I think uh, maxing the RAM. I mean, it's early days. Maybe I'm being alarmist, but maxing the RAM still seems like a really good idea because both the processor and the graphics card are pulling from the same pool. So if you can double that, why not? And the upgrade on storage, I would go more than you think you need. Yes. Because this computer could probably last you a long time. And you've got to think about, you know, what will three years from now version of me need in terms of storage because you can't upgrade it later. So... You don't want to have to get rid of a perfectly good computer just because you're you're running out of space. Yeah, so the default Mac has gotten a lot better. I, I really don't have any complaints about this. It looks fantastic to me. It's so easy to recommend the MacBook Air. I mean, it already was before this announcement, but now it's like if someone tells me they want a laptop, I say just get a MacBook Air, choose your storage. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think for most people, it's fine. I mean, during the demos, they were running a uh, 4k uh, video render on it you know <laughs> they're doing stuff on this thing i mean well i mean just get back to that that benchmark it's benchmarking higher than the the 16 inch macbook pro so anything you can do on a 16 inch macbook pro you can probably do on this mm-hmm. now 
there's an issue with the fans and probably sustained performance. I suspect it'll get slower for like long renders, but for the day-to-day stuff, this thing is going to be fine. Yeah. And what I like about it is it gives a user headroom. So if you buy this, you know, I, I like the college student example, you know, if you buy this for a college student and then they end up doing, you know, engineering or design or scientific stuff and they need more they need more computer you know a few years later this gives them that ability it gives them that breathing room because this is so powerful where in the past maybe you would have hit the limit of what the macbook air could really do comfortably and then you know you've got to upgrade to the pro i think that this gives people more flexibility as their needs change and again that leads to longevity which is fantastic should I talk about what I bought now, or you want to wait for Luke? Uh, let's talk about it as we go. So, so what did you do? I bought a MacBook Air. Nice. Um, I'm I'm trading in my MacBook Pro for a MacBook Air. Okay. So your so your machine. This will be your computer, not a family. Well, I I, I bought two because Daisy's computer is ten years old. So okay, yeah, she's due. It, it, <laughs> it's ready. I mean, the speakers don't work. Um, the the trackpad is really hard to press. That that computer is barely lasting and i kept telling her for the longest time just wait just wait and then i got thinking well what if i just got myself the macbook air now and told her to wait like another year because you know there could be another great you know the m2 or whatever mm-hmm. uh but then i thought you know as a husband there's only so far you can go <laughs> you know so so we got her basically kind of an entry level with upgraded memory or u- upgraded storage for her uh for her machine which will be fine and then I got myself the um, the MacBook Air, and I really went up and down on the difference between the Air and the Pro. And I guess, in fact, I'll explain my reasons why after we talk about the MacBook Pro, because there's there's some stuff that's involved here. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. With Squarespace, you can easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog. All of that is possible with Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I used other website services for Max Sparky over the years that I was developing it, and I got tired of all the nonsense. You know, was I hacked? Does the plugin work? I just got, I was done with it. I think five or six years ago now, I signed up for Squarespace for Max Sparky, and I have never looked back. It's just been a great experience for me. Sometimes I get linked on bigger websites and I get a ton of traffic and Squarespace has never let me down. It's just always work. And when I want to make changes, I can do it myself. I don't have to hire a uh, you know, dedicated developer to make changes to my website. Now, Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU with the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. <laughs> 
So the MacBook Air was not the only notebook that showed up in this event. The the entry-level 13-inch MacBook Pro did as well. So this replaces the two-port 13-inch machine. If you remember, that line has been divided uh, basically since 2016 into two-port and four-port machines. This is the two-port variant. So uh, we can get into maybe what that means in the future. But it is inside very similar to the MacBook Air. It does have the eight-core GPU, so you can't get the seven core, which again, we don't think that that's going to matter that much. Uh, roughly two hours better battery life. This is the longest battery life ever in a portable Mac. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, and it uh, looks and, you know, feels and weighs the same as the previous one. Yeah. I mean, it just like the MacBook Air. On the outside, it, it looks the same. If you put two next to each other, I'm not sure to be able to tell the difference. Mm-mm. It's got the touch bar. It's got, you know, a slightly brighter screen than the MacBook Air. Um, but it has the M1 inside of it. Now, when we were leading up to this and doing all our speculating, I uh, I assumed that we would get, if we got a MacBook Pro, there'd be two different chips. There'd be, like in my head, the, the power-efficient chip in the Air and the um the power or the uh, the battery efficient chip in the MacBook Air and the power uh, you know the big power chip in the MacBook Pro but instead what we got was in the lower end MacBook Pro we got the same chip as in the MacBook Air mm-hmm. uh, and uh I didn't really expect that but it kind of makes sense I think maybe people are buying that low end MacBook Pro not necessarily for speed but just for the additional features that come with a MacBook Pro yeah, yeah, they're they're a lot more similar than I thought too. Um, I, I was kind of the same thought uh, uh, that you had of you know maybe the Mac Pro would have more cores in it. You know, basically the same design, but maybe the Air would have six and this would have eight. But uh, they, I guess, they feel confident that having a fan in this gives it enough of a performance boost, especially over peak performance over a longer time to sort of justify the the difference between the two machines. Yeah, and that is really the key difference. So in the MacBook Air, there's no fan, so you don't have the noise of the fan. There is, as I understand it, a heat sink in there, which is going to try and dissipate the heat off the chip for you. But that's a passive cooling system. Whereas with the MacBook Pro, you've got an active cooling system. A fan is blowing right on top of the chip, which means it's going to cool it off much faster. And for the computer, that means... It doesn't have to slow down. You know, the, obviously, the computer is going to be always watching the temperature of the processor because what it doesn't want to have happen is for you to do a final cut render that literally melts your processor. Yeah, you know? that's not good. And <laughs> that, that, but I mean, without regulation, that is a possibility. I mean, people, those processors get extremely hot. If you ever run like, um, you know, any of these apps that check your processor temperature and just keep an eye on it. It is ridiculously hot inside there. Um, so um, so with the MacBook Air, even though Mary doesn't have to hear the fan going off, when she goes to render out a Final Cut, I could see it <laughs> taking twice as long as it would on the MacBook Pro with the fan with the same chip inside of it. Yeah, yeah, it could. Um, again, you know, we don't know exactly how they stack up, but I think you're definitely right. In those longer-term jobs, the Air is going to get throttled and, and slow down where the MacBook Pro will have a literal breathing room with that fan 
and uh, and moving air. Shortly after we publish the show, hopefully benchmarks will start showing up, and we'll be able to put real numbers to that, and we'll report back. But but I think you can guarantee that long, you know, like process intensive long projects will be faster on mm-hmm. this computer. Yeah. I think so. I think if your workload includes things like that. So for me, it's rendering, you know, really long audio files uh, on the road. That's really why I have a laptop uh, is to to do shows while traveling. For me, for that sort of workflow, the Mac Pro, MacBook Pro, excuse me, probably does make more sense than the MacBook Air because the main reason for its existence in my life and my workflow is these long, heavy jobs, right? Uh, you know, rendering or volume matching and noise reducing, you know, two hour long wave files, it takes some time. Even on a Mac Pro, it takes some time. And so I would probably be in that zone where the difference would show up. Now, if that's not your sort of work or it's not very often that you're doing that sort of thing, Unless you just really want the extra couple hours of battery life or really attracted to the touch bar, I don't see a ton of reasons to go to the MacBook Pro over the air, just to be completely honest. Yeah, so now I can go back to my decision, right? Okay, yes. I had both a MacBook Pro and MacBook Air in my cart, and Mm -hmm. I was looking at them, thinking about this. And while literally while I'm sitting there thinking about it, my daughter comes down and she's, you know, she's doing remote learning like everybody else. She's in college and they had to do a video project for one of the classes. And I bought them both MacBook Airs last year when they came out with the new ones with the better keyboard because they're both doing remote learning and their computers are really old. And um, she had created in Final Cut a project with seven different video tracks of seven different students that were like moving around the screen with music and audio and video effects. And she had created the whole thing on her MacBook Air. And it was like only like a seven minute long video, but it looked fine and it rendered fine in her, you know, work on it. And then it rendered later out to a 4K video. And I realized, wait a second, this new machine is three times faster than that one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I do all my production work really on the iMac Pro, which is currently in the shop. And we'll talk about that more power users. But so I, I really do my production somewhere else. And the fanless thing is very attractive to me. Uh, one of the things of COVID is I find I'm, I'm using a laptop a lot more than I had done before because we have four people in a 1,500 square foot house and we're all trying to work. And I can't just like plant myself at my desk all day. Sometimes I have to get out of the room to accommodate somebody else. And so the just the portability of the MacBook Air the fanless nature of it and the fact that I don't need to do a lot of real heavy lifting on it, but I, I want it to be fast and efficient um, on the stuff that I do like Microsoft word and obsidian and, you know, pages and an email. That's, that's the stuff I really do when I'm moving around. Mm -hmm. So I just ordered the MacBook air for myself too. Yeah. No, it makes sense. You know? Yeah. And I, I got the, I upgraded the Ram to 16 gigabytes and upgraded the storage. But I didn't even upgrade the core. I just got the seven. I mean, I think that's fine. Yeah, and, that's um, and so, and I can't wait to get it. And the other thing I would add is if you have, if you're thinking about getting one of these, the Apple trading program is not garbage. I, you know, I used to think that if you're going to make money off it, you got to sell it through some other third party. But Apple actually made me a better offer on my MacBook Pro than any of the other like reputable people out there. So I'm just selling it back and it's, so the computer is going to end up costing me very little. Mm-hmm. 
Um, a listener TJ had just wrote me before we started. If you're selling back a computer to Apple that has Apple Care on it, they'll give you a partial refund. Oh, so nice. Make sure you follow up on that. But you may find that you can upgrade to one of these from, if you've got a fairly recent Mac, you may be able to upgrade to one of these for not much money. Okay. But that that's what I decided. Uh, and I, I do actually, I don't hate the touch bar as much as some people do. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I have been using a better touch tool to customize it, but, and the idea of a slightly more um, brighter screen is a good idea too, but I don't know. It just didn't feel to me like I really needed it. And, I have a lot of affection towards that MacBook Air I carried for three years, you know, back in the day when they came out with it. And I kind of just, maybe it's nostalgia. I just want to carry a MacBook Air again. Yeah, no, I get it. Hey, you picked a really good one uh, to go to. Yeah. The other thing I think is, you know, getting back to what you were talking about, what if you are somebody who uses this thing to do real heavy lifting work? I think that if that's you, you might be better off waiting. Um, I think that, the M1 is a great chip. As we talked about, it's faster than a 16-inch MacBook Pro. I guess I'll stop saying that. You guys have heard me say it like six times. But but I just can't get over it, right? But mm-hmm. either way, it's a very powerful chip. But I feel like the there is another chip somewhere in the Apple Labs that's going to drive a 16-inch MacBook Pro and a, maybe a 14-inch MacBook Pro or this 13-inch body. I don't know. But I feel like there's going to be a more performance-intensive uh, chip for the the pro users that we'll probably see sometime next year. That's going to make the M one look like, you know, the tortoise. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, there is that four port machine and you can still buy the Intel version of that. Uh, They've left that on the store. And so, yeah, there's definitely uh, another shoe to drop with this. And if you're making your living doing final cut on the Mac, you know, I would say, wait, uh, I think if you're more like me where it's production heavy, but not very often or not every day, then, and you really just want to experience the new thing, I think the MacBook Pro would be great, but there's definitely no harm in waiting because again, this is the entry level stuff. I mean, we keep coming back to that because I think we're both stunned at how big these numbers are that not only Apple said, but these early leaked benchmarks show that this is a, a big jump forward. So it, it is exciting. Uh, it's also really exciting to see what could be coming, uh, you know, sometime next year. I mean, it's going to be such a different world in a couple of years when this stuff makes its way to the iMac and the Mac Pro even. I don't even want to, I don't know if we should have you on the show when we have numbers to compare the Intel Mac Pro to what they do on a Mac Pro. I think Mm-mm. maybe you should take that week off. Yeah, I was going to say, I may need to... <laughs> <laughs> like dig a hole in my backyard and lay down in it for a little while. <laughs> no, I'm going to be yeah. sad when the, the Apple Silicon, you know, 16 inch MacBook pro is, is as fast as, as it. in fact, in single core, my Mac pro is competitive with this. Multi-core it's not multi-core. It's way yeah. faster video stuff. It's way faster, but at some point <laughs> that gap will close and then I will be yeah, very well, sad. Just like my MacBook air is going to be nearly as fast as your Mac pro. It has uh, wheels. And and when you look at with my trade in value, I think I'm gonna pay less for it than you paid for your wheels. So I don't want to talk about that. Hey, I donated that amount to St. Jude. So I'm I know you can't guilt me over how expensive the wheels were. The uh, (laughs) I can't guilt myself. Yeah, I mean the the, and that that is like a, a weird conversation to have about 
you know, your current Mac being outpaced and that sort of stuff. You know, for me, I wanted something for a long time and knowing this was coming, you know, my, like for instance, we're gonna talk about Big Sur next week. My production machine is going to run Catalina for a long time. You know, this is a, this is a, a computer that's its existence is to make relay FM podcasts. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it I is it. Yeah, it. a little bit different than if it were a, a, you know, a machine that was more home or, or office based, but. While we're on the topic, though, something that is interesting, even though they brought over all the goodness that is in the mobile chips, we didn't get any of the hardware goodies. Like I talked a lot over the last few weeks about a touchscreen and how I'd love to see a touchscreen show up on these laptops. No, you know, there's no touchscreen. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Face ID is a permanent fixture on the Apple system on a chip and on the mobile devices. It's not a thing on these laptops, and um, I don't know. You know, I talked in the interview with Kurt even saying, you know, I think it kind of good that the computers didn't change a lot. I think somebody going in who doesn't listen to Mac Power users next week may buy an Apple Silicon uh, a MacBook Air without even realizing what they're buying. And yeah. maybe that's the way they want it. But I do hope that in future iterations um, that we will get some of the cool stuff like touchscreen, face ID, and and some of the features we have in the portable devices into these laptops. Yeah, I th- and I think we will. I think you're right that this time out, it was about let's get this new technology in the hands of people and then start you know, really changing what the Mac is later. Yeah, yeah. Let's touch on the Mac Mini. Uh, most of this conversation is very similar between the MacBook Pro and the Mac Mini. It has a fan. It's the same size as before. It is silver and not space gray, and it has fewer ports and a lower RAM ceiling than the Intel Mac Mini that you can still buy. So I kind of think there could be a more powerful Mac Mini coming as well with the M1X or you know whatever they end up calling it. But if you're a developer or you run a Mac Mini headless and, you know, do computation stuff on it. This seems like a good option. All of these can also drive the pro display XDR. So you can hook a Mac mini up to a display whose stand costs more than the computer. If you want to do that. Yeah. Or you could buy 10 Mac minis. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a thing. Um, So, (laughs) you know, in those benchmarks that have floated around, the Mac mini is the fastest by a little bit. I think probably because it has just um, more breathing room with the fan. But yeah. in terms of performance, it's going to be very similar to that MacBook Pro. I, I think as a result, there's probably space in there for a future Mac Mini that you know gets the more powerful chip, and then you'll be it'll be very easy as a consumer to decide which one you need. And I also think this is going to make taking the Mac Mini and putting it on a regular upgrade cycle finally something more doable because they're not beholden to Intel. And if they're making these chips, you know, when they update that chip for the next MacBook Pro, they can update it in the Mac Mini is at the same time. And uh, I just think overall, the Mac Mini may uh, may have a much more regular upgrade cycle going forward. That's my guess. I hope so. Uh, I really do because a lot of people like those. They're they're very versatile because you can basically just stick them anywhere, <laughs> which is which is great. So yeah, I'm hopeful about the Mac Mini future as well. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Woven, the all-in-one calendar perfect for busy people like us. Feeling disorganized can really impact your work. I know if I 
feel like I've lost grip on what's on my calendar that I, I feel adrift at sea. And one thing that I do on a regular basis a couple of times a week is sit down and look over the next three or four days and make sure that everything I know about is accounted for, that I'm prepared. It really makes a big difference to me in the way that I work. Woven syncs all of your calendars into one easy place, including Google, Google Apps, Microsoft 365. So you can see all of your time, both personal and professional, in one place. Woven builds scheduling links directly into your calendar, so you can use one-off links. You can quickly block time in your week using Woven's smart templates so you can plan the perfect week. It has built-in analytics, so you can easily calculate where you spend your time, a feature that I really think is, is very useful, and helps you make time for what matters most. You really should check this out. Take control over your calendar, improve your workflow, and as a listener of this show, you can try it for 21 days absolutely free. Go to woven.com or click the link in the show notes. That's woven.com. Our thanks to Woven for their support of the show and Relay FM. Another thing Apple discussed during the event was how does this new M1 chip work with your old software and your new software? And I think this can get confusing. So I thought we should spend a little time just kind of talking through the options available to users and developers. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really good. Um, it is very similar to what we spoke about in the Intel transition. There are several different ways developers can get ready for this. If they don't do anything at all, then their app would run under emulation which is called Rosetta. That's the Apple's brand name for it. So that means that most Intel applications, you could just click in the dock and it will run. It will run slower than it would on an Intel machine of similar speed. And I don't know this, but my guess is that because these Apple Silicon Macs are so much faster, there may not be a big performance impact on running applications under Rosetta. It may be faster. That's the weird part. Um, I was just reading in Ben Thompson's newsletter. Uh, he had tweeted, a, there was a tweet from an Apple developer. If I can locate it, I'll put it in the show notes, basically saying that running a process on an Intel Mac took 30 nanoseconds, running it on an ARM Mac took six nanoseconds, and running it on an ARM Mac in emulation mode for Intel took 15 nanoseconds. Hmm. And, you know, so I don't know. And that's just one. That was probably something he picked, you know, to make a point. And I'm not sure everything will be faster. But my guess is this is not going, you're not going to have the problem we had in the last transition. Like I remember running Microsoft Office in the original Intel Max was literally painful. It's like you would press an A on your keyboard and you would, there was a noticeable delay between the time you press the key and it would show up on the screen. Um, that is not going to be a problem with this transition. Not all Intel ma uh, Intel apps will run under Rosetta, but basically anything that normal users would want will. Uh, the 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 list of fine print uh, is pretty specific to high end stuff. So, yeah, right out of the bat, you'll be good to go. Um, but if developers do a little bit of work they can ship a universal app. And so this is one application that runs both natively on Intel Macs and Apple Silicon Macs. And 
They can be downloaded from the Mac App Store or from company's website. So somebody like the Omni Group, and you know, they're a longtime sponsor, but they had a blog post up today that I noticed saying that they're all ready to go. And so their apps are all universal, run natively on whatever platform you're on, which makes them, of course, way faster and uh, you won't be dependent on Rosetta. The apps will be screamers and they're going to open really fast. Like, you know, Kurt was talking about, you're just going to get all those benefits. And I can tell you having, I have many developer friends and I'm, I'm the lawyer for many developers too. And talking to developer friends in the last few months, I have not talked to a single person that said this process was very difficult. Like getting the, you know, the transition over has been fairly simple Granted, the developers I usually work with usually follow the rules. They don't have a lot of like weird code. But I think you're going to find that there are a lot of developers getting on the universal bandwagon faster than happened last time. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, like I was talking earlier about Microsoft and how long it took them. They already have a beta out for Microsoft Office on this new ARM system. Wild. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and Apple said that Adobe's working on Photoshop, and you know there, there's always some people who are a little late to the game, but uh, I think overall this will be much faster than it was in the past, and a lot of that has to do with Apple's technology being better, and again, developers who build things in standard ways have less work to do. Yeah, and the other thing is just you know we're r- literally moving into a race car, so you know, a race car engine can make up for a lot of other problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speed uh, erases a lot of sin. That's what we're saying. Yeah. Um, and and Stephen and I will, will report back. We're both getting these machines. Yeah. So we'll, we'll you know, if, if it's not true, we'll tell you in a week or two. But I think that this is just not going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. There, there are two more classes of apps uh, on Apple Silicon. There are Catalyst apps, which we have and we've spoken about before. These are iPad apps that developers can go through a process and run them on Intel Macs or Apple Silicon Macs, but they pick up more Mac-like interfaces and usability features. And so things like drop-down menus and right-click and keyboard bindings get all that stuff when you catalyze uh, an application. And that is still present in Big Sur. Uh, It's still present on the Intel machines. It will be how Intel machines get iOS apps in the future because uh, only the Apple Silicon Macs are getting the final type of new application, which are unmodified iOS and iPad OS applications. And so if developers allow their apps to be in the Mac App Store and you're on an M1 Mac, you simply download and run them directly. There's not; It's not emulation. It's not some sort of weird virtualization. They're just running unmodified on the Mac. Yeah. Um, like Instapaper just released a Catalyst app. Mm-hmm. So if you have an Intel Mac and you're Instapaper subscriber, you can just install it and it works great. I tried it last night. But when my Apple Silicon Mac shows up, I don't need to do that. I'll just run the iPad version of Instapaper on my Mac. And that's the difference. And that, to me, is the biggest question mark. Um, I don't know what that experience is going to be like. At this point, we know that if you have a trackpad, you'll be able to simulate some touch gestures. But you aren't going to be able to touch the screen. So you know the interface that all those apps was designed for does not exist 
on the Mac, you know? So I'm going to be really curious to see what the experience is of running them. Cause the, the idea in principle, I think is amazing. You know, my favorite iPad apps on my Mac as well, sign me up, but I also want to see what it's like to do it. And I just don't know yet. Apple really hasn't shown us much. Um, I think if you have a mouse, it's going to be complicated. Like how do you do a pinch gesture when you're using a mouse? You know, I don't know, but so I think we'll have a lot to report on this. I love the idea that it's going to happen, but I'm just not sure what it's going to feel like or how it's going to work with this initial hardware. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about it, to tell you the truth. Uh, yeah, Apple too. hasn't demoed this, right? They showed a screenshot of it. It's like, uh, what does that mean? And again, this is something that we will we will know very shortly, and we'll, we will definitely report back because um, we each are going to have one of these machines in our houses. I think the trackpad will be essential. Like when they get this to an iMac, you're almost going to need to have a trackpad as well if you're going to want to do that. That's how I think about it too. But uh, yeah, well, we'll report back. But the bottom line is I don't think there's really anything to worry about with your apps. I think your old Intel apps are going to work fine, possibly faster. But I think I I don't think it'll be noticeably slower. Um, And uh, Steve and I will report back. We're we're early adopters. We're both I'm I know I am too enthusiastic about this. I just I love the excitement of such a big change. Mm hmm. Um, but um, but we'll we'll report back and, and yeah. we'll tell you. But I think you're going to be fine. And the uh, the iPhone and iPad apps is only bonus as far as I'm concerned. So how'd they do? I mean, how do you grade their their first foray into Apple Silicon? Honestly, I'm I'm really impressed. I'm impressed at the performance they're getting. Uh, I'm impressed that these these new machines have such better battery life and they're o- offering a fanless option. Like you, my questions are all about software, but overall, I mean, I felt like I was smiling watching the whole event. I definitely felt that way rewatching it this morning in preparation for the show of I'm just, I'm really excited, you know, transitions are hard and I'm sure there'll be some rough spots here and there, but Apple's really good at this. And as a Mac user uh, and a, and a, a big proponent of the platform, I'm excited to see it being move forward in such a significant way. I think the Mac still has a really long, vibrant life ahead of it. And I think this only proves that. Yeah. I, I remember a couple of years ago where people were worried Apple was giving up on the Mac. Mm-hmm. And this is the exact opposite of that. They created a platform that runs circles around any other traditional PC. I just can't get over how much they exceeded my expectations in terms of extended battery life and performance. I mean, if you had told me they're going to make it the MacBook Air go three times as fast and last another, you know, double the battery life, essentially, I wouldn't have believed you. I just didn't think that was possible. But that just shows how little I understood. Um, So they exceeded expectations, I think. And now we have, you know, people who like the Mac now have the ability to have a better Mac that also runs iPhone and iPad apps. I mean, I can think of many times that I sit on my couch with my laptop with an iPad next to me because I want to do things that only I can do on an iPad. Mm-hmm. Now I don't need to do that, you know, I yeah. mean, honestly, you yeah. know, I, I can just do it all on my Mac and I still need to figure out if the interface is right. And I, I don't even know what that means. Will my shortcuts work on the Mac? I'll tell you in a week, you know, but I'm really excited about this. It's uh, it's it's just fun. It's so much fun to talk about this and to see Apple doing it. 
It's going to be great. And this is the slowest ever Apple Silicon that will ever be released. <laughs> I just, you know, that goes faster than the laptop that shall remain unnamed. I, I don't know, man. It's it's crazy. And as Mac users, I hope you're as excited as I am because I think, you know, if you have the patience, more patience than me that you can wait a couple, you know, a year and see how this all shakes out. Um, no matter what kind of Mac you want, it's going to be a screamer. And like, what does Intel do? What does Dell say to that when... You know, people are going to see this real world performance, this instant on stuff and compare it to their Windows PCs. It's like, wow, you know, I have a lot of questions. You know, I think that it's it's definitely possible that this is the big well, that this is a real clear point uh, in the end of Intel's reign. And I think it's definitely possible that if Microsoft gets its act together with Windows on ARM that we could see a big shift in the whole industry to chips like this. Uh, Apple's yeah. out there first. I don't know if other people will follow them, but I do think if you're a PC vendor and you're you're watching this, thinking about your own notebooks, it probably stings. Another question that's been in my mind for several years now is how does Apple continue to keep an edge? I mean, for most of my life, the reason I wanted Apple software was because of the Apple operating system you know, the software was better. I mean, Same. that's why I would buy a Mac. But increasingly, a lot of the work I do is in a web browser. And a lot of the, like, the legal software and a lot of the stuff I use is just basically a web service now. And whether I'm on a Windows computer or a Mac, it doesn't matter. It's the same experience in the web service. So I think Apple's answer to that question is you want to buy our stuff because our hardware is better. It's faster. It's going to do that web service faster than any other computer. And, you know, obviously, Apple's a big company. They worry about the same stuff dummies like me think about. And I think this is the answer to the question. Why do you still want to buy Apple stuff? Well, this, the hardware is so far superior. Well, I think that bringing the entirety of the iOS and iPadOS ecosystem to the Mac is another answer to that question of, yeah, you may be using a browser a lot now, but I mean, think about how many things you may be using a browser for now that have good iOS apps. And if they come yeah. over to the Mac and that's a good experience, that actually makes Apple's native environment better and more valuable. So I think they're definitely, I think they definitely think about that. Yeah. Well, we'll report back, gang. It's been a great week for the Mac. It has. And, uh, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Thanks to Apple for uh, giving us some time and letting Kirk come on the show. Uh, first of all, it just feels great for the Mac Power users to get recognized by Apple. I'm just going to say it. You know, um, we've been making the show a long time, and I know that there are people at Apple that listen to the show, and it just, you know, I really appreciate that they want to talk to our audience, and I appreciate that. Uh, thank you to our sponsors today: One Password, Indeed, Squarespace, and Woven. Uh, in the more power users show today, I need to talk about the travails of my iMac Pro, uh, but we'll get to that. And otherwise, we'll see you next week.